Support for Spoleto Backstage is made possible in part by Brook Green Gardens, presenting Bruce Monroe, Southern Light, an outdoor immersive exhibit featuring seven large-scale works of art and light. Now open Wednesday through Saturday evenings. Advanced tickets are required and are available at brookgreen.org. Hello and welcome to Spoleto Backstage. It's your ticket not only to a few of Spoleto Festival USA's most memorable performances, but also to some of the behind-the-scenes action and the personalities that have made it all possible. Even in this unprecedented year without a Spoleto Festival, it's a year without a lot of things, there's way more than enough to explore and enjoy from past seasons. Plus, plenty to catch up on when it comes to some of the festival's longtime stars and chamber music heavyweights. I'm Bradley Fuller, and I'm excited to share with you some of a conversation I had with Jessica Meyer, a violist, educator, and this year's intended composer-in-residence for the Spoleto Festival Chamber Music Series. After that chat, we'll hear one of her works that would have been performed. And again, it's a treat for me to be co-hosting with a figure who is a phenomenal host in his own right, the man, the myth, the legend, violinist, and the friendly face of the music of Friends, also known as Chamber Music, Jeff Nuttall. Jeff, how are you doing today? Bradley Fuller, great to be here. I, I got to say, I do look a lot better on radio. This is a treat. <laughs> what a, And what a program. You know, I, it was so difficult, as you can imagine, going through picking a, a 11. But um, this is one of my favorites. Cesar Franck, Piano Quintet to End. And I have a soft spot for this piece. It's just so over the top. It's so exuberant. It's so romantic. It's it's just everything that music is and and Stephen Pressman is basically Cesar Franck distilled into a human. Uh, so it, I, this is one of my favorite pieces and with one of my favorite people. And we're in the middle is this CPE Bach, Carl Philip Emanuel Bach Sonata, and he was a quirky genius. We forget that CPE Bach was the Bach in Mozart and Haydn's time and had a huge influence on these other composers. But it's just so spontaneous and imaginative and quirky and. And nobody plays this music better than Peja Mutsievich, who, interestingly enough, will be playing it for us today. And we're going to open with two arias by George Frederick Handel, sung by Anthony Roth Costanzo. This is one of these people where you, you hear about them and they're supposed to be great. And then when you hear them and when you work with them for the first time, the, it's even more remarkable than, than the preconceived notions. I'll never forget our first rehearsal with Anthony. And to a person, our jaws just hit the floor in the rehearsal as he started singing. And we, we couldn't believe what was coming out of the mouth of this man. So we have to open Rampi Ilacci from Flavio, a really a tour de force of virtuoso singing and a duet for oboe and countertenor, James Austin Smith playing the oboe, who interestingly really introduced me to Anthony Roth Costanzo. So that's appropriate. And the band is the St. Lawrence String Quartet, Anthony Manzo, double bass, Peji Mutsievich, harpsichord. And that will be followed by one of my favorite tunes of all time, Ambra Mai Fu from Zertzis. This is one of my favorite pieces of music, and I've never heard it sung more beautifully than by Anthony Roth Costanzo. Let's welcome him and our team of players to the stage now.
Thank you so much. You know, that story that, that REI just sung is a story that we can all relate to. Um, it's about a guy who's fallen in love with a girl, but then he finds out that her father killed his father. <laughs> and, I mean, <laughs> it's happened to me a lot. I'm sure it's happened to you. Um, it's a dilemma. Um, but uh, what's amazing is Handel wrote this, of course, for the castrated men in the 18th century. It's hard to fathom that they existed. But one way, in a sort of primary source way, I can connect to it, is that if you look in the score, you see these long, long, long lines. And uh, the castrati themselves, when they had the operation, they didn't have all of the hormones that we normal males have. So their bones wouldn't harden as much, which meant that their rib cages were more cartilaginous and could expand an extra inch or two. So Handel could write these long, long lines, which I now have to deal with. I mean. It's a total pain, but it also <laughs> meant <laughs> I'm trying to find a way to somehow expand, have a rib taken out or something. <laughs> I know there's a way. Anyway, but he also could write these extremely beautiful long passages like the ones you're about to hear. Um, this next aria is simply about how comforting the, the shade from a tree can be.
You've heard the term, I'm speechless, before. And it's, it's totally true. That kind of music making in a space like this, with an audience like you all who listen and get it, is so magical, transcends any words. It's tempting just to call the whole day. <laughs> yeah, I wish you could. I mean, you all, I felt the, like, that, the jaw drop. And it, we, we rehearsed earlier in the week, and that was a moment in rehearsal with all these, you know, these hardened musicians. They have seen it all. To a, to a man and woman, they're all like exactly the same thing when Anthony opened his mouth. It, what a treat. Now, in the 1780s, the great Mozart said, Bach is the father, we are but the children. And you all think he's talking about J.S., right? The pop, nuh-uh. He was talking about Carl Philip Emanuel Bach, J.S. Bach's son. The importance of C.P.E. Bach as a player, as a teacher, and as a composer, most importantly, is hard to overestimate. The effect that he had on the music of Haydn, Mozart, Beethoven, Brahms, Schumann, you name it, it goes into the present century. He was romantic and postmodern at the same time. This is a sonata which I've loved for many years, and Pedro Mutsiewicz, our incredible pianist and harpsichord player, agreed to learn it and present it for you today. I just, C.P. Bach is, well, he wrote a really great treatise on playing the piano for, for both students and teachers alike. And it wasn't just like what fingering to use, it was how to connect emotionally with the audience. And he said something really pithy. It struck me. He says, if the performer is not moved by what he is playing, then there was no way that the audience will be moved. Isn't that a great talk? I mean, it's so basic, right? But you wouldn't think about classical period music being about that kind of emotional connection. So the sonata you're about to hear contains incredibly powerful music, but within the frameworks of the classical and late Baroque traditions. Uh, it's in three movements, and the first movement is this, it's almost like a prelude, it just flourish, allegro di molto, the second movement, adagio assai, mesto e sostenuto. Mesto means sad, so this is really plaintive, violent in its emotional expression. And listen for C.P. Bach's use of silence as an expressive device, predating Haydn's mastery of that very form. And then the final movement is marked uh, allegretto arioso ed amoroso. And interestingly, it's a lesson in ornamentation. You speak to people at parties and you say, well, you guys don't improvise like jazz musicians do. Totally not true. So what you're going to hear in this final movement, the same music repeated, each half, there are two halves. This is your listening assignment, if you choose to accept it. <laughs> Listen for the repeat of that first section. But C.P. Bach has carefully written out all the ornaments to instruct the player on how to ornament, how to vary the melody by adding notes in between. Does that make sense? So this is like 1760s jazz, basically. <laughs> Please welcome to the stage pianist Pedro Mutsievich.
truth be told, I mean, I get excited about it, but you don't really know what's going to happen until you get out here and you hear it all put together, you know. So uh, it's been an amazing, the concert is just this, the variety of forms of passion expressed through music is, is so varied, and each one of these has had its own way. This piece, the Franck Piano Quintet, is volcanic, the extremes of the passion. Nadia Boulanger, the infamous composer and teacher, said that this piece contains more triple pianissimos and triple fortissimos than any piece of chamber music that she knew. And I, I would not argue with her. César Franck, rather austere French Romantic composer, church organist, wrote this piece in 1879, and at its premiere, Camille Saint-Saëns, his colleague and a French pianist, played the premiere at the piano. Music was dedicated to him after the performance. He left the score and walked off the stage, disavowing any connection to this piece. He hated it. Now, it's not just about him not loving the piece. It's about a young female student named Augusta Holmes, who, by all accounts, both guys, who were not young at the time, were totally infatuated with. Augusta was studying with César Franck, and basically this piece is a musical description of at least what he wanted to do. <laughs> we're not entirely sure what actually happened, but the proof is in the fact that César's wife did not allow this quintet to be played during her lifetime. Yeah. It's in three movements. There's a slow introduction and then allegro first movement. The slow movement, the middle movement, is uh, lento con molto sentimento. <laughs> Multilingual audience today. That's very good. Uh, the third movement, allegro manantropo, ma con fuoco, with fire. One other tip. This is written in a form that César Franck really commandeered, the cyclic form. So you're going to hear a lot of these melodies return in various guises throughout not just the movements, but throughout the work as a whole. So nod knowingly when you hear that incredible tune from the first movement, return in the final movement, and you go, cyclic form. <laughs> My colleagues in the St. Lawrence String Quartet are um, we're thrilled to have the return to our stage here of the pianist Stephen Pretzman. Please welcome them.
That was Cesar Franck's Piano Quintet, performed by the St. Lawrence String Quartet and pianist Stephen Prutzman. And I remember it was one of those hot days in Charleston. I was drenched with sweat after that 30 minutes. An exhilarating experience to be on stage and hanging on to the coattails of Stephen Prutzman. What an experience. That's why we spend all that time in the practice room, to, to be part of performances like that. And I think it's really clear that that practicing and effort really pays off, not only for the performers on stage, like you, Jeff, but also for those who are listening, whether in an in-person audience or tuning in. You know, Bradley, one of the the really sad things about the festival being canceled this year is that uh, our composer-in-residence-to-be, so to speak, Jessica Meyer, was going to write a new piece for the St. Lawrence String Quartet, and we we're going to get to meet her and introduce to all our, our fans in Charleston. And, of course, none of that will happen. I'm, I'm really hoping and have it in place that she will be back next season and will produce a new piece for the quartet. But uh, I know she's really disappointed, and, and you also had a chance to talk to her about that and about the future. This chamber music series would have been another feather in her compositional cap. She's written for the Grammy-winning vocal ensemble Roomful of Teeth and the American Brass Quintet, among other groups, was commissioned by the Juilliard School for a project with the Institution's Historical Performance Program. And outside of her role as a composer, she engages with diverse audiences that span age groups, musical abilities, all as a leader of workshops and masterclasses. And like you said, just a few days ago, she joined me from her home in the Bronx of New York. Jessica, great to have you. How have you been these past few weeks? I know it's the question everybody's asking, but it really takes on new meaning in these times. It really does. I've been recovering from the fact that a lot of my concerts have been canceled and like Spoleto and that's just a premiere concerto that I wrote for myself. And a lot of the summer activities have been canceled, but out of that came a lot of wonderful time with my family, uh, trying to get my son ready for high school next year. And I've been composing and, and performing a lot, just also just by myself, because I, I also perform a lot with the loop pedal when I'm not writing chamber music or writing for other people. So I've been able to hop online and do a couple of those concerts. So all's not lost, but even in this uncertain time, but we're trying to make the best of it. So just a little background, a loop pedal allows you to kind of layer different recordings of yourself all in one musical presentation? Yeah, so it's something that guitarists use mostly when they're on stage where they'll play a rhythm or a riff and then press the pedal again and it'll keep repeating and they can layer a bunch of stuff on top of it. I use it in a, an orchestral way that actually served as kind of my training wheels as a composer. And I love as a violist, especially uh, to be able to show up anywhere and be able to give an hour long concert with just me. And um, it also was a great enabling constraint composition-wise, because it forced me to be creative in my choices of how can I create contrast and structure and shape while writing for things that are constantly repeating. So you were already experienced at these one-person concerts before, you know, everybody else started doing them with these from-home broadcasts of, you know, as, as the necessity dictated. Yeah, I've done hundreds of them for a lot of people. So it, because... 
like I said, as a violist, how there's not so much solo repertoire one would want to hear me do for an hour um, without anybody else. So, um, so it's been quite handy. So I could show up in different places as a composer and as an educator and as a violist and be able to do a concert, but then also help kids access their own creativity and do all the things that I do. So how did you get involved with Spoleto Festival and being this year's composer in residence for the chamber music series? Well, I think it started a couple of years ago when I wrote violinist Livia Son, who's a wife of Jeff Natal of St. Lawrence String Quartet. I wrote her and the fabulous virtuosic violinist of the Move Ensemble, which is a violin quartet. I wrote them a piece called In Equal Measure. and. I got reacquainted with her because we had gone to Juilliard together a long time ago, but it was fabulous to see her in this new context. And so after having them perform this piece so wonderfully and make a YouTube video of it, and then I got to know her capacity at Spoleto. And it was just something that, you know, we were talking about possibly for a while. And then I got the phone call in November that this was year it was going to happen. And I was really excited. So I shuffled around my composition schedule and made it work so that I could write something for the St. Lawrence Quartet in honor of the 20th anniversary season. And and what all were you trying to fit in for this year's Spoleto Festival? Were you going to, obviously you had some compositions on the program. How many of those were premieres? Were there any prior works? And were you going to perform some yourself? Well, I think the opening weekend, I was going to come in and play the tune that I did on my TED Talk, which is Source of Joy, so they could see the looper and how it's sort of a good crash course in the kind of sounds and textures that I like to combine. And then I was going to have a world premiere with the St. Lawrence String Quartet. And I was also going to perform Seasons of Best Show with Anthony Roth Costanzo. And that's something I'm deeply sad about because I know that his being the opera star that he is now, he's too busy next year. So that won't be able to happen next year, but it's been nice getting to know him over the socials and just see his wonderful work. And this is a 2015 work of yours that you actually have a recording of. Yes. Um, I released my first composer performer album this year called Ring Out. And it was released in October and super proud of it. And, um, my good, good friend, Nicholas Tamagna, is a wonderful countertenor who also just had his a debut at the Met this year. He's singing it. So it's out there and hopefully finding more countertenors or sopranos who can play the piece at the moment. But um, that is one of the first pieces I've written besides this viola cello duo. So I look at it very fondly because it's one of my first works. I, I remember being in Utah and going to a park because I was on, I was there for a teaching artist residency and I went to the forest and I remember sitting on a bench and thinking out loud to myself, like, this is the first piece I'm going to write. Like this is, you know, I started sketching it out then. And then it was sort of put aside for a while until this duo was written and then I picked it back up. But I just remember it being a moment where I just started to stretch my composer legs. And so I have a very fond association with it. And before listening to it, you know, taking in any of the music itself, but just kind of looking over its structure and some of the text, I was kind of struck by the similarities to Vivaldi's Four Seasons. So there's this link to poetry, 
evocations in the natural world, like even a summer storm and a sense of awe at this kind of austere wintertime beauty. And then the life of Basho himself, this is um, the early Edo period, so like late 1600s, kind of overlapping with what we call Baroque and, and European music. Were, were those parallels any consideration in your mind? Did you want to avoid them or, or did Vivaldi Four Seasons not really factor in at all? I think that at the time, it, it only related to the fact that there's been a piece about the Four Seasons before. But I, I found it interesting in its connection to how a lot of Basho's work is about using nature as a metaphor for the human condition and, and the cyclical bits of it. The other cycle that I was trying to portray of like this idea of discovery and connection and then all of a sudden loss and then all of a sudden trying to figure out, well, what do we do now? Having that connect with the four seasons and starting with spring. So, yeah, I feel like it was there as a connection. It's funny. Maybe it was more of a meta thing at the time, because I, I certainly find myself tapping into Baroque virtuosity in a lot of my works that I write right now, especially for strings. Maybe it was there as sort of like a, a hidden thing. But at the time, I was just mostly struck by the whole cyclical feeling of that relationships have and how Bachot just consistently refers to nature and the different seasons in his poetry. You feature three haiku, I think, for each season. Is the sequencing of them, that's yours, right, and not Bachot's? Yes. So Bachot's haiku, they're very, because they're haiku, they're very short. So I find myself sequencing a lot of text whenever I'm writing for singers. Uh, same thing with Ring Out Wild Bells. It's originally the piece I wrote for Roomful of Teeth. It's originally the Upper Lord Tennyson poem, but in the poem, it's always, here's the bad, let's do the good. Here's the bad, let's do the good. So I wanted to separate it so that we hit all the bad stuff first, and then we hit all the good stuff later. So I, yeah, that's something that's part of my creative process that I really enjoy. And, and I was struck too, in some of the shifting um, for the seasons of Bachot, you know, the use of timbre and texture, you know, even in the, the opening movement, Spring, there's a haiku about loneliness, uh, a line, you know, one leaf from the Kiri tree. It's kind of matched with what sounds like pretty sparse music to me. And then as you shift to a haiku on the scent of plum blossoms and a morning sunrise, there's all of a sudden this warmth and lyricism and, and lush quality to the music. Is that kind of what you were going for? Yeah, I love writing vocal music because it kind of makes the job easy for me <laughs> because I my job is simply just to best express what the words are trying to say. The tone painting that one does to really sort of allowing yourself to venture into these more episodic changes of texture and phrase and color. I, I really love doing that. Yeah, and, and I have to say also striking to me, I guess pun intended, was uh, the lightning strike in, in the summer movement where the singer, high voice, goes from this more spoken style recitativo or something to this full-on singing, you know, the top of the range again with, with the flash of the bolt of lightning. Yeah, I have a lot of fun figuring out how to do that with the typical ways we would perform, but also, like I think at the end, I mean, at the end of the movement, the pianist would just like smack the edge of the piano, you know, just sort of give that final statement. I am in general as a composer, 
my aesthetic is to embrace all different kinds of music that inspires me and have it find a home in what I'm writing, but also just exploring the extremes, the most fragile sounds and also the most powerful sounds that a performer can do to really access the emotion that I want to communicate. Well, Jessica, all best with those many facets of your musical career. And thanks so much for speaking today. Thank you. It's been a pleasure. That was part of a conversation I had with Jessica Meyer, violist and composer, also the scheduled composer in residence for this year's Spoleto Festival USA Chamber Music Series. One of the pieces on the docket was her Seasons of Bachot, which we were just talking about. And we'll hear it performed now by the composer herself playing viola, joined by pianist Adam Marks and countertenor Nicholas Tamagna. This is Seasons of Bachot by Jessica Meyer.
to the sea.
That was Seasons of Bachot by Jessica Meyer, the composer herself playing viola there, joined by Adam Marks, piano, and Nicholas Tamagna, countertenor. Really exciting piece there, Jeff, right? The, well, the more I hear Jessica both speak and play, the more excited I am about having her on stage at Dock Street Theater next year. What a, what a multi-talented and inspiring musician she is. Seasons of Bachot is part of Jessica Meyer's critically acclaimed debut album, Ring Out, on the Bright Shiny Things label, and is available on all platforms and at brightshiny.ninja. Spoleto Backstage is made possible in part by Bank of America and the ETV Endowment of South Carolina. Special thanks to Spoleto Festival USA. The engineer for Spoleto Backstage is Duke Marcos. The producer is A.T. Shire. The executive producer is Sherry Hutchinson. I'm Bradley Fuller. I'm Jeff Nuttall. And until next time, take care. <laughs>